seated. We can turn with you in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 18 through 23 this morning, but I will read to verse 27 to set the context. Christ or Antichrist? This is what everyone was waiting for, talking about the Antichrist. So uh, uh, we'll see that in John this morning. He also mentions it in 1 John 4, but today we'll see it here. So we'll begin reading at verse 18, 1 John chapter 2. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Amen. Well, let us pray. Our gracious God, we are thankful for our Christ, and we are thankful that as we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, we thank you so much uh, that we see the Father in the work of the Son, and we're thankful that the Spirit's work is to point us to the Son and to guide us into all truth. Thank you that as we come and study your word, uh, there is triunity going on. This is a great mystery for us, yet it is a great blessing. And we are thankful for the doctrine of the Trinity. Thank you for men of old who formulated it. Thank you for men of old who saw where it was in Scripture and sought to articulate it and that we can stand upon them. For our assurance comes in knowing our God. Our assurance comes in knowing our Christ. For if we do not know Christ, we do not know the Father. And so we ask and pray that we would not focus so much on Antichrist, but that we would focus on knowing who Christ is. So often we can get caught up in speculation, but help us to be a people who learn and know the truth. Help us to be a people that know and love Christ. Help us to be a people that know and love the Savior in his person and in his work. And so help us today as we come and study uh, difficult things. We ask and pray that you'd send forth your spirit, that we would be illuminated by your spirit, whom we have, and that we would know the truth and grow in the truth and understand the truth all the more. So may it be a day of edification for your people, may it be a day of correction for your people. We also pray pray that it would be a great day of salvation for those who do not know you. We pray that you would show forth the glories of Christ and that they would not perish with Antichrist, but that they would live with Christ by faith. And so we ask and pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, there is much speculation and much ink spilt about the identity of the Antichrist. People are wondering who this end time meanie could be. 
But much of this speculation is unwarranted. And if I were to speak to my younger self about speculating about these things, I would say, stop it. And the reason I would say stop it is because the Bible, while it does talk about Antichrist, there is never a command to speculate about the future or to speculate about some coming end time meaning. Rather, most of the New Testament writers who speak in this area, they're trying to temper, trying to bring down any sort of fanatic speculation, which is what we see here in 1 John chapter 2. And rather, we're not supposed to focus on Antichrist, we're supposed to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and ask ourselves whether or not we know him by faith. Have we believed upon him? Have we confessed him? Do we know who he truly is? Because that's where our assurance comes from. It comes from knowing Christ, regardless of what end time meaning may emerge in the end. And remember, this book is all about assurance, the assurance that God's people, the assurance to whom John is writing, the church in Ephesus, that they would know that they have eternal life, not in false teaching, not in a false Christology, but in the one true Christ. And this letter is structured like a sermon to encourage, structured like a a sermon to assure, and that assurance is founded upon the gospel, but there are also tests as well to uh, where one can find assurance. Now, the first point of John's sermon, it really is written like a sermon, uh, is living in the light. And so we saw the test of walking in the light. We saw the test of his commandments. Uh, We saw our spiritual state. And then the last time we looked at 1 John, we saw how we're not supposed to love the world, what we must not love. And then here in verses 18 through 23, we see what we're not supposed to believe. There is an assurance here by way of warning. And the problem is very clear. It's the problem of a false Christology. Brethren, theology matters. What you say about the Lord Jesus Christ has everlasting ramifications. And so there was the issue of antichrists who began to emerge at the time of the apostle John. And the two things that they said about Christ, uh, two ways to identify antichrist is they would say Jesus is not the Christ And then Jesus did not come in the flesh. Or more specifically, Jesus, uh, they deny the Father and the Son, and they deny that Jesus came in the flesh. If you have a false Christology, then you don't have any assurance at all. It's a deceptive assurance. And so John writes to his hearers, here is what you need to look for, but here's the Christ you need to focus on. Here's the Lord and Savior you should set your mind upon. And the question we need to ask ourselves Do we know Christ? Have we believed upon him by faith? Have we looked to him? Do we know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we know the truth according to who he is and according to what is revealed in his word? Because John highlights that an antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. An antichrist is anyone who denies the father and the son. Antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, which then denies the Trinity. And so we'll look at this warning against Antichrist under two headings, this, uh, three headings this morning. First of all, the time of Antichrist, verses 18 and 19. Secondly, we'll see the remedy against Antichrist in verses 20 and 21. And lastly, we'll see the lie of Antichrist in verses 22 and 23. So the time of Antichrist, the remedy against Antichrist, and the lie of Antichrist. So let's first look at the time of Antichrist in verses 18 and 
19. And so we see John's typical term of endearment, little children. It's a term of endearment to show his love for them, but also to warn them, to warn them about something, to warn them about something that has occurred and to warn them of the age in which they live. And notice he says, little children, it is the last hour. We see the time of when antichrists shall emerge. Now, many people like to ask, are we living in the last hour? Are we living in the last days? Are we living in the last times? And the answer is yes. We are living in the last hour. We are living in the last days. We are living in the last times. But so were the people during the time of the apostles. Last hour, last days, last times just refers to the time between Christ's first and second coming. You see this. Paul says in first, sorry, first Timothy four and second Timothy three in the last days, in the latter times, there's going to be perilous men in the last times. There's going to be terrible people in the last times. There's going to be false teaching. And so the last hour just refers to the time between Christ's first and second coming. So yes, we live in the last hour, but so did the apostle uh, the, the apostles and the church to whom John is writing. And often we like to speculate, is Christ coming tomorrow? Is Christ coming in an hour? Is Christ coming? Possibly, but we're not supposed to speculate about those things. Christ is going to come again. It is the last hour. Deal with it. We're not supposed to be fanatics. We're not supposed to think about those things. We're supposed to be faithful in the life that God has given to us. And certainly last days is Old Testament. Many prophets speak about the last days. Many prophets speak about the time that is coming. In fact, Joel too prophesies about the last days. And what does Peter do in the day of Pentecost? He applies it to what's going on at Pentecost. The outpouring of the spirit is the inauguration of the last days and the last days go until Christ comes again. Even Jeremiah 31, 31 prophesying about the new covenant and it's coming. This is what's going to happen in the latter days. So are we the last generation? I don't know. And you know what? I don't care. Because the purpose is to focus upon Christ and to do what he has asked us to do rather than speculating about whether or not we're the terminus or last generation. And so John is writing, he says, asserts right away. It is the last hour. And here's how we know that it is the last hour. Many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. But he says, you've heard that the antichrist is coming And even so, even now, many antichrists have come. Now, again, there's a lot of ink spilt on what antichrist means. Some good reformed theologians argue there will be one final antichrist uh, before Christ comes back with many as a forerunner to him. I love John Gill. He says that. I like Kim Riddlebarger's book, The Case for Amillennialism, which is my view of the end times. And he argues that there's going to be an end time antichrist who comes. See, it goes to show even amongst amillennials, we can have differing views because I'm not so sure. I'm not so convinced that there's going to be an end time meanie who comes because it's not the point of the text. It's also not really the point of Second Thessalonians, and it's also not really the point of Revelation 13, if you think they're all referring to the Antichrist. Not improbable, but not the point. Neither John 
nor uh, Paul ask who specifically he is. But people do ask specifically who he is. And you see fanaticism happening already in John's age. Notice, as you heard, as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. He moves from individual to multitude. Some thought the Antichrist was right there. Some thought that there was an end time meanie who has come. Some thought that he was right there. Notice you've heard what some are saying. Don't people do that today? He's the Antichrist. He's the Antichrist. He's the Antichrist. Maybe, but probably not. Not the end time meaning if you go in that sort of direction. So there was this fanaticism. There was this speculation. Some were saying in John's day, you heard. Then he goes on to clarify. Even now, many Antichrists have come. He seems to be using Antichrist and explaining what it means in a very generic sense not a specific sense. And what's interesting, John is the only one who mentions Antichrist, and it's only in his letters. 1 John 2, uh, 1 John 4, and 2 John 7. Doesn't mean the concept of Antichrist can't be present in other places. However, he's talk, trying to highlight that even now there are many Antichrists who have come. And remember Jesus' warning in Mark chapter 13? When he talks about the Olivet Discourse, which I believe he's talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And why I believe that is because the disciples ask, why are you going to destroy the temple after Jesus says he's going to destroy the temple? But I believe that's a, that's a, a recapitulation pointing ahead to the end time when that comes, uh, when Christ comes again. But Jesus says, here's how you know it's not the end. There's many antichrists. You want to be encouraged, brethren, that Christ hasn't come back yet? There's wickedness in the world. I mean, to some degree, that's some sort of an assurance that we haven't missed the boat. And we'll talk about missing the boat when we get to 2 Thessalonians in just a second. But the point being, it's a spirit, according to 1 John 4. There are many, according to 1 John chapter 2. And what he's going to talk about, it's going to be those who come in the stead of Christ's. Or, as Jesus says, pseudo-Christs, false Christs, ones who proclaim to be Christ but they are not him. And how you know it's not the end? Because many antichrists, uh, many false Christs have come. And here John says, it's the last hour, it's the last days. Christ hasn't come back yet. Many antichrists have come by, no, by which we know that it is the last hour. So the timing, they come at the last hour. There's false teaching in the last hour. And notice the origin of antichrist in verse 19. From the church... They went out from us, but they were not of us. So it originates in the church. For if they had got, but uh, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. The purpose of their going out was to show that they were not actually part of the church of Christ, not actually part of the apostolic guild as well. And so they came out of the church. And that's why I do believe that there's a difference between 1 John 2 and the beasts of Revelation. I'm not convinced they're the same. And the reason I'm not convinced they are the same is because the beasts probably refer to anti-Christian government and anti-Christian religion, things outside opposed to the church of Christ. Certainly in John's day, 
as he's seeing the apocalypse and recording the apocalypse, it would have referred to Rome and the imperial cult. It referred to Rome and paganism. So there seems to be a difference, something from without versus something that arises from within. Now, perhaps there is some more and more connection with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because that shall arise within the church. One shall come to the temple of the Lord. One shall uh, exalt himself above God. So perhaps there is some connection with 2 Thessalonians 2. However, there's differing purposes. In 1 John, it's a Christological heresy. In 2 Thessalonians 2, he's writing to deal with an over-realized eschatology. People thought the end has come. Christ has come. We missed the boat. People love to speculate on end time things, right? They love to speculate on what's supposed to happen. So we shouldn't be surprised when people do it. We have to go back to what Paul and John say. You know what they say? Just chill out. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it all the time. Just Love the Lord Jesus Christ instead. But in 2 Thessalonians, that's exactly what Paul says in verse 1. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord and our gathering to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. That the end time had occurred. They thought they missed it. They thought they were left behind. Sorry to make that joke. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Hopefully you understand what I'm saying, but I guess it's not that funny. That's okay. All right. Anyway, so they, he's warning against this sort of fanaticism. They thought they were left behind. He says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And he goes on even to say when he talks about the man of sin and the mystery of lawlessness, he will be revealed in his own time. He will be revealed in his own time. We're not supposed to worry about it. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. There are many antichrists at work. Just it's okay. And if I may make one uh, aside, uh, 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 not sort of related observation in chapter two, verse one of second Thessalonians concerning the coming of our Lord and our gathering together of him. He's obviously talking about when Christ comes again and gathers his church. You know, what's interesting. There's only one other place that word specific word of gathering is used. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, even as you see the day approaching. And the reason I highlight that is because when we gather as a church on the Lord's day, if you want some eschatology, that's where it is. If you want to come to heaven, that's where it is. If you want a glimpse and foretaste of what shall happen when Christ comes back, the gathering of God's people shall one day be gathered to him when he comes again. So if you want eschatology, come to church. If you want to come to heaven, come to church. Don't worry about who, this guy, that, whatever. Is it the end? Yes, it's the end. We don't know when the end is, but yes, it's the last hour. Come to church. Yes, it's the last hour. Go to your job. Yes, it's the last hour. Love your family. That's what we are called to do. To recognize that we are living in the last times and to live accordingly. We don't need to sell our homes. We don't need to make calculations. It is the last hour. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we ready? 
And what I mean by that is, have we believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we looked to him by faith? Do we know this true Christ? And do we then seek to honor and glorify him? I mean, life is pretty simple, or the commandments of God are pretty simple. I mean, Ecclesiastes, life is miserable, fear God, and keep his commandments. That is what we are called to do. And if we are ready and we have believed, how shall we live as we await his coming? Well, the rest of 1 John kind of tells us that, doesn't he? Love the Lord, love your neighbor, love one another, go do your job. That's what we are called to do as people who are living in the last hour. It is the last hour, little children. Many antichrists have come by which we know it is the last hour. But how then shall we deal with them if there are many of them? Well, that's what verses 20 and 21 help us with. We are to know the truth. This is our remedy against the Antichrist. Antichrists have come, time of the last hour, but there's also a remedy against Antichrist in verses 20 and 21. And the two remedies he mentions in verses 20 and 21 are one, the Holy Spirit, and two, the truth. We have the internal working of the Spirit and the external means by which the Spirit works. And so notice what he says in verse 20 as he talks about the Spirit. But you... There's the Antichrist, or there's the false prophets, the false teachers, the Antichrist who've emerged from the church. But you, brethren, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You have anointing that comes from he who is God. And the Holy One in the Old Testament refers to Yahweh of Israel. It's mentioned throughout the book of Isaiah. Plenty of places the Holy One is mentioned. But it's also mentioned a lot in the New Testament. And guess who the Holy One refers to? The Lord Jesus Christ. When the demon-possessed man in the synagogue in Mark 1 and Luke 4, the demon says, O Holy One of Israel, I know who you are, O Holy One of Israel. Revelation speaks about Jesus as the Holy One. So what we see here is if we know Christ, we know God. And if we know Christ, we have the outpouring and we have been given the agent of new creation. We have been given that Holy Spirit. We have the outpouring. We have that blessing that has been provided. After the Son finishes and completes his mission on earth and he ascends into heaven, he then pours out the Spirit The Spirit is then poured out, and we see His mission at the day of Pentecost, but also His mission in the work, in uh, in the lives of people as He works in the heart of believers. And so the implication is Antichrist do not have this anointing, but you, O brethren, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Jesus says to his disciples in John 14 and John 16, he speaks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to guide his people into all truth. David Dixon says, speaking with wonderful old English, ye are furnished with necessary gifts and the aid of the Holy Ghost, and that ye might know all saving opinions. The only way to know saving opinions is by the work of the Spirit so that you then might shun the seduction of apostates. What's the remedy against false things and false teaching? To know what is true. 
You don't have to read all the false things. Read what is true. We only have so much time in this world, so we ought to know the things that are right and true and good. And one thing I should say, he is not doing away with the ministry. This is not a charismatic text, especially when we get to verses 26 and 27. What he's highlighting here is the promises fulfilled of the new covenant. He says, you know all things. What is one of the promises of the new covenant according to Jeremiah 31? That they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. And so we see that new covenant application as the spirit is poured out that we might know the things of God given to us by he who is God as the spirit is poured out by the Lord Jesus Christ and poured out by uh, poured out by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One. And you know all things. And all things here probably refers to the things that have been mentioned. You know the gospel. You know the communion that you have with God. You know the Father. You know that God is light. You know your spiritual state. You know all things. Doesn't mean we don't study. Doesn't mean we don't learn. But we learn by way of prayer. We learn by way of the Holy Spirit. Theology is not just an intellectual endeavor. I hope people, when I say the word theology and when they hear people mention theology, that's just all doctrine. It's all head knowledge. Brethren, it is meant to be done with prayer. We're coming to study the things of God, who he is and what he has done. And as we study the things of God, should that not stir us on into practice and adoration of the Lord God most high? We are studying divine matters. And if we study divine matters... Don't we need the aid of the Holy Spirit? As you come to read theology, whatever that is, we need to pray to God to help us to see what his word says. We need the Holy Spirit, that the the principle by which we know, but we also have the external means by which we know as well. Verse 21, the truth. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. You have it, you've received it, You've heard it from the beginning. He's assuring them. You don't need to worry about what these false teachers have to say. You got it. A guy might come in. He might sound great. He might sound good. But you might say something like he doesn't. uh, uh, He denies the father and the son or he denies that Jesus is the Christ. And if you know that Jesus is the Christ, if you know that if you know the son, you know, the father, then you know that that false teacher is wrong. And so we know the truth. We've received it from the beginning. I've not written to you because you do not know it, but because you do know it, and that no lie is of the truth. The remedy against Antichrist is knowing sound theology, specifically right Christology. Knowing who Jesus is, he is the Christ, that he came in the flesh, knowing the incarnation and what that means. Excuse me, what does it mean that he took on human flesh? What does it mean that one who is fully God becomes fully man. How do we wrestle with that? How do we think through that? Well, men of old have thought through this in many different ways. How do we reckon with the fact that Jesus is, claims to be and is written of as the one who is God, the Holy One? Well, men of old define these things for us or help clarify these things for us. Jesus of the same substance of the Father. So brethren, know the truth. Hold fast to the truth. Come to church to learn about the truth. Fathers, train your children in the truth. Learn about the truth and know it well. 
You don't need to read books on who the Antichrist is. Please do not do that. What you should read instead is know who the Christ is. You only have so much time in this world. You only have so much mental power. Does anybody else get tired from thinking a lot? Do our brains, you know, shut down if we've been thinking way too much? Well, there's only so much that can go in there. So what you should do, read good stuff. Read God's word. Read our confession, chapter 8. That's all about Christ the mediator. Read the creeds. Read Chalcedon, read the Athanasian Creed, read uh, the Nicene Creed, read all of those creeds that we might better understand the definition of uh, the, how we can define and think through what the Bible says about our God. And I'll quote some creeds in just a moment. It doesn't take long. I mean, the definition of Chalcedon is like a paragraph. Just go read it over and over and over. And I'd rather that than thinking about the Antichrist. Read a big book on, on who he might be. Be. But the point is, brethren, hold fast to the truth. Come to church, read good stuff, learn good stuff. I need to read good stuff that I can teach. You know, all those things are important and a benefit and assurance for the people of God. We need to know the truth. And one of the reasons we need to know the truth is it helps us figure out who an antichrist is, helps us to see the lie of antichrist, which is what we see in verses 22 and 23. The remedy helps us against the lie. So let's look at the lie of Antichrist in verses 22 and 23. Notice we see the identity of any who is an Antichrist. Well, we see a liar, and Antichrists are liars. So who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Where do we see their lie in what they say? And it's what they say about Jesus. Remember, Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? Who do they say that I am? But then who do you say that I am? And what's his confession? You are the Christ, the son of God. What are these false teachers saying? What are these liars saying? Jesus is not the Christ. Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not the one who fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. Instead, they're focusing in on something else. They're primarily focusing in on their secret, special knowledge, rather than knowing who Christ is and knowing God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that is the definition of what an antichrist or is the identity of what an antichrist is later on in first john 4 anyone who denies that jesus came in the flesh second john 7 anyone who does not confess that jesus christ has coming in the flesh this deceiver is an antichrist that's how you know any antichrist anyone who says something wrong about the lord jesus christ and what's interesting is polycarp who is a disciple of john also takes Antichrist generally. Everyone who does not confess Jesus Christ to come in the flesh is Antichrist. And so while we're not necessarily, or I don't think we should necessarily be looking for an end time meanie, doesn't mean we can't recognize that there are Antichrists now, right? And there are many of them out there, and they are known by their theology. What they say about Christ, again, I must confess and I must say that in the modern evangelical, sometimes supposedly conservative churches, the understanding of Christ is this. 
you know, we haven't understood Christ as we should, we start to say things about God that we ought not to. Now, am I saying they're antichrist? I don't know that I'm going that far. But what I'm saying is understanding who Jesus is, is vital and important. And it is a great and encouraging endeavor and study because we must beware of antichrist. One example of antichrist that our confession, uh, confession mentions is the papacy. Chapter 26.4 says that the papacy, the Pope, is that man of sin, is that son of perdition, is that antichrist. Notice he says that, not the, or they say that, not the. They're recognizing that the papacy, that the, the, the institution of it, stands in the stead of Christ. I mean, Pope Innocent III said that the Pope is the vicar of Christ on earth. The one who stands in the stead of Christ on earth, that is by definition, dear brethren, antichrist in the stead of Christ. And we think about the beasts too, you know, the combination of imperial cult and the combination of military and political uh, oppression. I mean, the papacy has a lot of history with that as well, especially under Pope Innocent III, as he tried to shut down all sorts of uh, rebellion or all sorts of opposition against him using armies of nations. So the papacy, again, we need to understand it in our confession ecclesiologically. That is, one who stands in the stead of Christ as the head of the church rather than Christ himself. So we can say there are many antichrists and 26.4 does deal with that very thing. And I'm going to say this right now because it's going to come up when I read the Athanasian Creed in a second. We're not against the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic just means universal, right? I mean, it's in the creeds. I mean, it's in the Apostles' Creed. It's in the Nicene Creed. We're not against that. We're against the Roman Catholic Church. That is an important distinction. What we see with the Roman Catholic Church comes perhaps around the 9th century, maybe the 12th century. They might say they have papal succession. They'd be wrong. Uh, they don't come until later on uh, uh, in the, as their, their views are codified and, and developed, a lot of it responding to the Reformation. So there is a difference. When I say Catholic, don't lose your mind, okay? I'm, I'll try to distinguish between Holy Catholic and Roman Catholic. We are against the Roman Catholic Church. But back to Antichrist. Thankfully, the Roman Catholic Church does not have Trinitarian heresies. Uh, That's the thing we did not reform from them. And Trinitarian heresy uh, is mentioned, or any sort of denial of the Trinity is mentioned in 22 and 23. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Throughout history, no one denies that the Father is God. People struggle with the Son being God. People struggle with the Holy Spirit being God. And there were different Christological heresies, Trinitarian heresies that emerged throughout the ages. Some conflated, not recognizing the distinction of the persons. I'm not denying the Trinity is a great mystery, but there's one God, three persons, not distinguished in essence, but distinguished by person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there was one you that conflated them together. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same person. And then there's also another view that said that there's this guy named Jesus, he, and he has his own life, and then sometime around age 30, here comes the Son. 
on top of him and absorbs him and adopts him. That is also a wrong view as well. It is the second person who takes on human flesh. And as that second person comes, he reveals the father, does he not? He says, whoever denies the son denies the uh, whoever denies, he's antichrist who denies the father and the son. Whoever denies the son does not have the father. You cannot have the father without the son. You cannot have the father without the son. Jesus says this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So he's combating these anti-Trinitarian claims of these false teachers. I use that word anachronistically because Trinity wasn't used at this time. doesn't mean the concept is not there, but they're anti-Trinitarian. And that's when the, the Creed of Nicaea later on in the 4th century comes on the scene and are against Arianism, against heresy that teaches that the Son is less than the Father. And so I'm going to read the, some of the Creed of Nicaea. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And the way we can know the Father is through this one who is fully God and fully man. We know the Father through the one who reveals the Father and the Son. If you've seen me, Jesus says, you've seen the Father. If you deny the Son, you do not have the Father. See how important Trinity is? Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, but he who acknowledges the Son, who believes on the Son, has the Father also. The Creed of uh, the Athanasian Creed later on says, and the Catholic faith, good use of the term there, the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Neither confounding the persons, we're not saying the Father is the Son and the Son is the Holy Spirit, nor dividing the substance. There is one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but there's one God. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. And what's interesting as well is the Athanasian Creed also says, he therefore that will be saved must think of the Trinity. If you deny the Son, you deny the Father. If you do not have the Son, you do not have the Father. But the assurance is, if you believed upon the Son, if you've acknowledged the Son, you have the Father also. And one thing that our confession says as it ends the chapter and the paragraph on the Trinity the doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence upon him. Think about what's already been said in 1 John. We've seen how we have the word of life. We've seen how John has beheld him. We've believed upon him. And John is writing to assure his hearers that just as they have fellowship with the Father through the Son, so too do we have fellowship with the Father through the Son and by the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, the Spirit is poured out by which we know the Son, we know the truth, and then in turn have communion with the Father. We know the Father by knowing the Son by the Holy Spirit. Brethren, our life is Trinitarian. The life that we have received, our redemption is Trinitarian. Our prayers are Trinitarian. Our worship is Trinitarian. 
and what you say about the Trinity and what you say about Christ has important, everlasting ramifications. We are to watch out for this lie, to be on guard against anti-Trinitarianism and anti-Christology that goes against the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he has done. And really the whole point of the book and this section is to know Christ. As I said, read Chalcedon, read Nicaea, read the Athanasian Creed, read the Catholic creeds. And I use that again in a proper and right term. Stop trying to figure out. I don't know that a lot of people are trying to figure out who Antichrist is in our church, but if you are, stop it. Christ is on the throne. There are many Antichrists who've come. Live your life, honor God, glorify him. Read more in this area. Come to church, come and worship the triune God. That is what God has called us to do because our assurance is not in Antichrist. Our assurance is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have him who is eternal life, you know the father. That is the assurance that he is giving and bringing to his people in 1 John chapter 2. And if you are not a believer, what you say about Jesus does have lasting implications. If you do not confess that he is the Christ, if you do not believe upon him for salvation, if you follow the doctrine of Antichrist, you will die in your trespasses and sins and be destroyed with Antichrist. But there is a way of salvation. Believe upon Christ, believe upon him, and you shall be saved. Believe upon him, and you shall have communion with the Father through the Son. If believe upon him, you shall know the Father as you know the Son. Brethren, don't set your mind on Antichrist, but set your mind on Christ. And if you have the Father, you have the Son. If you have the Son, you have the Father. Well, let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we are thankful for your warnings that you give us in scripture. We ask and pray that you would forgive us for not loving Christ as we ought, not considering who he is and what he has done. Forgive us for the times past that we have speculated on things that we should not have. Forgive us in times past for saying things about Christ we should not have. And we are thankful for men of old. We are thankful for men who have helped define, helped think through these marvelous yet difficult and mysterious truths. And we ask and pray that we would be a people who benefit from that, that we would recognize that you are one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Help us not to confound the persons, but help us also not to divide the substance. Help us to recognize that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, yet there is one God. And we're thankful that we know you. We know you, O triune God, through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. We know you, Father, through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that as we pray, we pray to the Father through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for all these things that you reveal to us in your word. Help us to be watchful. Help us to be on guard against ourselves. Help us to be on guard against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But help us to cling to Christ and to know him all the more. Help us to sing praises to your name for what you've done. And thank you that as we sing praises, that is a glimpse and foretaste on what we shall do forever, to sing praises to our triune God for the redemption that we have in Christ. Be pleased to save sinners this day. Be pleased to assure your saints this day. And we pray that you be glorified this day. And we pray these things in the name of Christ.